0: Hey man, let's let's go and and let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come we come, Lord, recognizing that you are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come, even as we have just saying, recognizing that you are the God of mercy and of grace. We come, Lord, recognizing that each of us come this morning, certainly with many faults and many sins. And how quickly all those things can just overwhelm our souls and overwhelm us as we fight the good fight of the faith. But help us, Lord, to know and to remember and believe as your word says that those of us who are in Christ, what you see is not those faults, but you see Christ. You see his righteousness. You see your son. And you see us as your children, forever yours. And so we glory that though we have many faults, Christ is our hope in life, in death, and forevermore. Amen. And so we look to him this morning and we hope in him this morning who is our life. And we pray, Father, as those who you have put within us, your spirit, and we see in scripture that your spirit's called even the spirit of Christ. And so we recognize that we don't walk alone in this Christian walk as we do fight the good fight of the faith, as we pursue godliness, as we pursue sanctification in Christ. That we walk by Your Spirit and with Your Spirit with us and in us, with You with us. And so we don't walk alone, Lord, and we don't walk alone this morning As we gather together, we pray, Father, that indeed right now that your spirit would work and move and lead us, Lord, under your word, that all of our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our lives would come under your word, Father, we pray. And so lead us and lead this time by your spirit that you would make clear your word and illuminating it that we may understand it and then seek to live it out for your glory. And so help us, Father, we pray. We ask that you would revive us. We ask that you would change us. And We ask that you would transform us. And so may you do that this morning. We thank you for hearing us. We thank you that you are here, and we praise you, and we glory in you, and we ask all this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. All right, well, if you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, so John chapter 12 is where we'll be in this morning, in verses 12 through 26, so you're welcome to turn there. Now, a number of years ago, you know, Megan and I, we were there visiting our families in Oklahoma, where we were born and raised, and so we were visiting them during a time of the holiday time period, you know, visiting them during Christmas, and we had just visited my side of the family, and so we were kind of getting everything ready to go and see, you know, her side of the family, and then we found out as we were doing that, that a huge snowstorm was heading our way. And so we hadn't seen her side of the family yet, so we knew we wanted to see them, and uh, we knew that we needed to make a decision very soon about what we were going to do. Um, Otherwise, this snowstorm can make it where, you know, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere. It was that bad of a storm that was coming. Well, the snowstorm came, and we went so we we left my dad's house as this snowstorm is coming in and we found out very quickly that this was going to be take some time to get where we needed to go and what normally would take around 35 to 45 minutes to get to my wife's family's house it took three hours to drive from my dad's house to Um, Megan's parents house and it was so bad that in the midst of the heavy snowfall we actually saw flashes of lightning as well and so it was a bad snowstorm and it was so bad so on top of that as I drove on I had to stop every so often in the midst of the thickness of the snow just to, to wipe off all the snow off the windshield because it would accumulate that fast that if I didn't stop I couldn't see anything whatsoever. And so it was a very serious snowstorm. And whether we knew it or not, when we left my dad's driveway, it was on. (laughs) And we were heading into the storm, like it or not. Well, this morning, we see Jesus is also heading into the storm. He's heading directly into not a severe snowstorm, but actually something far graver and even far more serious with far more ramifications as well into a graver storm. And even though he knows what lies ahead for him, what does he do? He rides on, on a humble donkey, right into that storm. And so we read of this beginning in verse 12 of chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. So, May God bless the reading of his inerrant and world-shaking word. Amen. The next day, the crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel, he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to Worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Will my servant be also? If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. Last week, if you remember, as we began this chapter, chapter 12 and verses 1 through 11, we began this chapter with really something that perhaps we may not have thought was a rather incredible scene, but hopefully after last week we see indeed it was an incredible scene of humble devotion to Christ, a scene where Mary, if you remember, she anointed Jesus for his burial. Well, even so, as they were having this banquet together, more than anyone knew Jesus would not be with them much Longer. His burial was coming and coming pretty quickly. (laughs) In fact, this humble procession that we see here beginning in our verses in verse 12 and onward here is a procession to the grave. And so it is that we see here first the king rides into Jerusalem. The king rides into Jerusalem. We see that in verses 12 through 19. Now this this moment you are likely familiar with and you probably know it as the triumphal entry. You know, as we remember and we celebrate and uh, as we draw near to Easter on Saturday, as we look at kind of the timeline of events, so verses 1 through 12, all that kind of happened. Um, Friday, and then mostly on Saturday, where Jesus was anointed by Mary. And now, here then, on Sunday, he enters into Jerusalem. And so all of this within the setting of the Passover, where there, where the, there were these immense crowds who were coming to celebrate this feast and when i say immense i mean immense the crowds they were so enormous that the jewish historian josephus he wrote that in his day which was around eighty sixty six, around 30 years after jesus more than two million people were gathering there in jerusalem to celebrate the passover that's a lot of people (laughs) have you ever been around that many people well, Josephus, in his day, he may, be, ha- may have exaggerated a little bit, but we get the point. At this moment in the Gospel of John, there would have been a massive crowd there with all that comes with that. You know, the hustle and the bustle of this crowd and all the sounds and the noises and everything else that come with that. And you would have, if you were there, you would have heard the sounds of countless people, you know, talking to one another as they do. You would have, you know, seen many animals all around and you would have not only seen them, you would have smelled them as well. And all that comes with that also. And you would have likely at that time also seen people talking about and kind of probably hushed tones about Jesus wondering about who this man is and what he has done and the things that even the crowd as we see or we have seen later here is that the crowds were already, those who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they're bearing witness to him and about him. And so they're hearing this and they're, if they hadn't heard about him, now they are. And they're wondering about who is this man? And so quite the scene here And so it is that we may envision what the reception here of Jesus might have been like. Where a great crowd of people seeing Jesus, they take these palm branches. And as we know from the other gospels, they throw them on the ground or on the road and they begin waving them. As they shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so they were receiving Jesus as a victor. That's why we call this the triumphal entry. Here comes the victor. And they're saying more than they know too. And here comes a king and not just any king but here comes even the king Amen. and so they they say this term of praise hosanna which literally means give salvation now and so they they praise him quoting from psalm 118 verses 25 through 26 and they even add their own words with it um, even the king of Israel. So in Jesus, they see the long-awaited king that they had been waiting for, they had been longing for. The king God, he had promised to them. And they see him as that king, the king of Psalm chapter 2. The king that God Promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where he told David this when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever Amen. well this is that king And they're recognizing him as that king. Jesus is that king. But even so, in the midst of this kind of glad, triumphal scene, Jesus is still a different king than the one that they're expecting. Even... Perhaps far different from the one that they are expecting. We just look back in John chapter 6, and they want to make him their worldly king. But he wouldn't have it. It was not the hour, and it's not that way. I'm not that kind of king. Not yet. The king of all things. And so here he comes this king, King Jesus, and he's not coming to demonstrate his military might. So why do I say that? Well, why kings, you know, they would often come and they would come in this great pomp, you know, uh, exhibiting their strength and their power. And they would do that in many ways, but they would do that by riding on a war horse as they come and enter into places. Well, Jesus, he does not do that here, does he? He comes on a humble donkey. You know, kings, they would come in might, demonstrating their power and strength, but Jesus comes here in humility. He comes not to bring war, but to bring peace. And this is why then John, he sees Zechariah 9.9 as fulfilled here. And so, yeah, it says there in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But if you read on, just one more verse Next to chapter, or verse 9 of chapter 9 of Zechariah, in the next verse, verse 10, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow should be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Amen. So it's clear, Jesus, he is not coming to make peace War, but he is coming to bring peace. And one day, he will return with a sword. But here, he comes with a donkey. So here we see where true peace resides. His peace isn't a peace that the world can give. Make no mistake, there will not be a time when humanity will reach a Star Trekian kind of utopia. We certainly should strive for peace as much as we can. You know, as believers, we should seek to be at peace with everyone and seek to pursue peace in our world. But we know that true peace is only found in Christ. True peace is only found under this king. There is no other king, no other president, no other leader who will bring about the peace that he's bringing. It's only through King Jesus Christ. And what then is his example for us? Well, He comes not in military might, but he comes in humble submission to God. He comes in humble submission to his Father. Now, if the king over all things, the one who fashioned the heavens and the earth, comes in such a manner as that, what then should be our manner? How then should we conduct ourselves, regardless of who you are? You may be the highest or the lowest. Well, you have your example, and it is humility. It is a Christ-exalting, God-glorifying humility. Let him be all, and me be low. It may be a bit funny to ask it this way, but what sort of animal are you riding on? <laughs> you know, do you, are you kind of riding on that war horse, the American way, that kind of pride, self-exalting, self-glorifying way of the world? Exalting of yourself? Or perhaps some other animal where our king, he rides on a donkey. So if we would be clothed with Christ, we will be clothed with humility also. So do away with all those prideful kind of statements. that act like it's okay to be mean and prideful and arrogant when we are to be like Christ. Amen. That is the world. But we follow him. We follow the one seated on that humble donkey going into Jerusalem. He's my king and I follow him. And so he's not coming to demonstrate. Military might. But he is coming. To redeem. He's heading. Directly. Into the storm. For who? For us. For you. He knows what he has to do. And he will do it. Even as his disciples. They don't understand it. Now. Now. Or then, in the Pharisees, they fret over the world going after him. He presses onward into the storm. He isn't the king. The people would have be king. But he is exactly the king that we need and that the world needs. And that king is one who comes to redeem He goes into the storm, which is exactly where he is going into. He goes into the storm after lost sinners. He goes to bear your shame and your guilt. And let's not lie to ourselves. We do have that shame and that guilt and that sin. Because that's what we are. We're sinners. Surprise if you didn't think you were what you are. That's what he's going to bear. Your shame and your guilt and your sin. He's going to take upon himself the wrath of God that if you don't know Christ is aimed directly at you right now. He's going to bear that upon himself. And he goes to bear upon himself every lie Every covetous act, every lustful thought, every bit of impatience we have had, every evil word, every angry, hate-filled desire, every unbelief, every time you have taken what does not belong to you, regardless of its cost or value, and don't lie, you know you have every disobedience, every dishonoring of your parents, every taking of the Lord's name in vain, every idolatry, every adultery, every fornication, every rebellion, every sin. He goes into the storm to bear upon himself. Amen. That's where he's going. And that's where he's going on a donkey as the people praise him. He is going to the grave for you. He goes as the Lamb of God to be slain for the world. And we say what to that? Worthy is he. (laughs) Worthy is he. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So, what do we do with a king like that? You live under this king. You live under this king. It is in him You live in having life in Him. You live under Him. And so if you are here and you don't have that life, you don't know Christ, that means that you need to believe. You need to put your faith wholly in Christ. All of your sin, whatever it is you have done, you may have thought That that one thing that you have done, God cannot forgive that. Well, he can. And in Christ, he will. Because Jesus came to bear your sin on the cross in your place. And so your response, if you're here and you don't know Christ, is you need to repent and believe in this king and this savior, this one who's come for you. And this also means if you are a child of the king, that you are to live under this king. In every country, with every leader, with every government, there will always be the temptation to set your hope and trust in this world and on earthly leaders and on earthly governments. But you and I are to live under who? Under this king. So we are to follow his model, his example, and his word as those who know where history is headed. And so, are you wondering how we should press on in our day under this pandemic, under this president, or under every president to come? Live under this King, live under his word and live according to his model. That's what you are to do. That's who your king is, regardless if you're here or you're in China or North Korea. Live under this king. And as we continue On here in these verses we see that among those who are going up to worship during the Passover are those mentioned there in verse 20 the Greeks or the Gentiles so the Greeks here they were likely not from Greece like proper like all from Greece but they were from the Greek speaking world and so they have they have heard about Jesus And they want to meet him. You know, who is this guy? Like I said before, people are wondering who he is. And they're wondering that also. These Gentiles, if you know your Old Testament, that's exactly what God said he was going to do. A gospel that would go out into all the world. And here are the Greeks wondering about who this man is. The Gentiles coming to fulfill scripture and so they go to Philip and Philip goes to Andrew and then they both go and tell Jesus and Jesus he answers exactly as we have come to expect in all of the gospels in exactly ways that you don't expect (laughs) that's exactly the way he always answers you're like okay he's going to say this and then he doesn't All right, I think he's going to say it this time, but he doesn't. He goes somewhere entirely different. And so we've come to expect him to answer in unexpected ways. And he does answer exactly in that way. And his response to them is this. The king's hour has come. The king's hour has come. And so he tells them, the Greeks and his disciples, that it is time his time has come. It is time for the Son of Man to be glorified. The one about whom Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Amen. And so the king's hour has come. The hour that we have so often seen in John, where he said, It's not time yet. My hour has not yet come woman my hour has not yet come well now the hour has come and now the time is here and what hour is that what's the hour of his death but he doesn't he doesn't go to an empty death he dies to gain he dies to gain he doesn't say he's going to die here, does he? He say says it's time for him to be what? Glorified. Is that how you look at your death? It's time for me to be glorified. Well, he does, and it's good. His dying is good. And he gives this illustration here of wheat where a grain of wheat that doesn't fall to the earth and die, that grain of wheat that stays on the stalk, it remains alone. Makes sense? It didn't fall, it's there. (laughs) pretty, Pretty obvious. But this is not what he's going to do. His death will not be empty He would die, and in dying, he would bear much fruit. And you are that fruit. You are that fruit. He's saying to the Greeks, I'm going to die, and you will be part of that fruit also. And right now, if you know Christ, you are part of that fruit also. You are the fruit of his death. And, in, and rejoice in that. But even as you rejoice that you are part of that fruit, know and see also there are more also. There is more fruit to be gained. You are not the lone fruit here. What a danger it is for churches to think that way. I am... I am and there is no other kind of thing. You know, uh, this is our church. No one else can come here. You know, I don't want any visitors. I don't want visitors like that or like this. I just want us. And so we're not the lone fruit. I'm not the lone fruit. There are more. And they are out there right now. We are never to be content with it just being us here. Contentment is good in the Christian life, but not here. Not when it comes to the unfinished task before us. We are never to be content. There is fruit to go out and the gospel to share. This past Wednesday, I urged us to take up prayer and to take up people or committing to community and to preach or to commit to reaching your one. Well, there is where you begin with reaching your one, with that one, just one person, and seeking to reach them with the gospel praying for them, pleading for them, seeking them out, talking with them, getting to know them, and seeking to share Christ with them. And I'll tell you, if you go and share the gospel with people, let me tell you what will happen. Yes, some will not look to Christ. But... Some will also. That is what will happen. Jesus, He died to save, and so we are to go and tell the world what He did. So there is more gospel fruit for us, Haven Baptist Church, to be had. And so Jesus, He tells them that my death is not empty. It is gain, but then he directs us to true life also in verses 25 and 26. How does he do that? Well, by dying. (laughs) By dying. And he, he sets up for us here dying as our model. It's interesting to see that here this kind of seeming contradiction that Jesus is putting forth. We see here that the way to destroy your life is to love it. The way to destroy your life is to love it. He says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. So so the more that you cling to your life, A life without Christ, a life without the cross, a life without suffering, a life that clings to the world, the sicker you will become. It's like, you know, seeing a porcupine, you know, kind of walking by the way. And as you see it, you know, you kind of run after it and gleefully, you know, scoop it up and you just hug it as hard as you can, you know. That's a silly image. And as you do that, though, and you're hugging this porcupine with all you are, its quills are digging into you, but that doesn't stop you. You only hug it all the harder. Well, that's what loving your life looks like. You may not see it, but it is undoing you. It is infecting your thoughts. It's affecting your emotions. It's infecting your words. It's infecting your life. So instead of that, the way to keep your life is to hate it. The way to keep your life is to hate it. Verse 25, Jesus, he goes on and he says, Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Your love for Christ is to be such that compared to your love for him, your attitude towards the world looks like hate. A love that is so engulfing, so encompassing, so deep, that in comparison to the world, it looks like you hate the world compared to your love for Christ. In contrary to what you might think, godliness is not avoiding everything secular. You may have worldliness in your heart and be surrounded by Bible verses and Christian music. Worldliness goes deeper than that. It is a love for the heart of the world. It's a love for that rebellion of the world. It's a love of the freedom to please yourself. It's it's that love of yourself. And you wonder why we're hearing all the things that we're hearing from the world right now. You be you. You can can make yourself into anything you want to be. Well, this explains it. And they hug the porcupine the harder and lose their life all the more. It will not give them the peace they think, or you perhaps the peace that you think that you're getting from the world. It always lies. It's the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life that John talks about in 1 John. It's, love, it's, it's a love for anything that rises above your love for God. It's, it's loving the fruit more than the God who gave you the fruit. It's loving yourself more than the God who made you. This isn't talking about hating yourself. It's about loving Christ more than anyone or anything else. And there's a certain way about these kind of people. Those who love Christ more than all. Well, those who hate their life, to keep it in the way of those of these or those who have true life is first they follow Christ. They follow Christ. In verse 26 it says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And this is not a mystical idea. This is tangible. They follow Christ and that they follow his word. And as we think about the way the spirit works, there is a reciprocal nature to the word and the spirit. We'll see this later in the Gospel of John, but they, uh, they take up his words. We take up his words and Christ, he leads his children by his spirit according to his word. That's what the Spirit does. He leads us as we know Scripture and and get it in us. He takes it and then he leads us according to Scripture. That's the leading and guidance and direction of the Spirit of God. That's how you follow Christ. So not some mystical kind of like, I got to manufacture something, have some sort of revelation that's outside of God's revelation. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God takes the revelation of God and leads us in following Christ. And then two, the way of those who have true life is they serve Christ. They serve Christ. And he says, and where I am, there will my servant be also. And this is what we are, the servants of Christ. We may be the scum of the earth, but we are servants of the king. You know, I remember... Back in my undergraduate studies, taking a class, principles principles of entrepreneurship. It's where I met Megan actually, as well. And uh, the professor he asked, you know, what kind of what kind of qualities, you know, do do you think that leaders should have, you know? And people were answering here and there, and and um, I thought about it too, and and I answered him. I said, well, being a servant. And he just looks at me like. No. (laughs) What is that? Where did that come from? That's not not how you would describe a leader. I mean, what, what are you talking about? And he's just like, you know, totally dismissed my answer. He didn't like it at all. But even though he didn't like it, that is what we are. Whether you're a leader or not, that is what you are. And what is the servant found doing? He's found doing the will of his master. He's found walking as Jesus did, obeying his word. He's found among those who belong to Christ as well. And he's found sharing Christ also. And so they serve Christ. And then three, the way of those who have true life is they live for the honor worth having. They live for the honor worth having. Having, If you keep your life, you will lose it. If you hate it, give it up, die, then you will have it. And what will God do for those who have Christ, who follow him and serve him? Well, the world might not honor you. You may not be honored in this world or even be known at all. At the end of your life, no one may know your name except your family. And give it a few years, and your family will forget you also. How many of you know your great-great-great-grandmother? Go back further, great-great-great-great-grandmother or grandfather. You're going to be forgotten. So you may not be known at all, but verse 26, of those who know Christ and serve Him and follow Him, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor you, and that's the kind of honor you want to have. That's the kind of honor worth having. So let me sum up all of this with this point. If you have Christ, you have everything. If you have Christ, you have everything. And this is what Jesus is saying to the Greeks. This is what he's saying to us in our day right now. In him is life. This king. This redeemer. In him you live. And in him you will have an honor that far surpasses anything that the world can imagine, fathom, or ever think up. So friend have Christ, and you have everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and just pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, that each of us, as we come Sunday after Sunday, that you would help us not to be those who look in the mirror and then go away forgetting, but you would help us to take your word and do it, take your word and receive it. And so we ask for your hand, Lord, help us to respond this morning to you. We ask, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, we pray that they, they would now see what they need to do and turn to Christ and be saved. And so, Father, we look to you and we pray that as scary, perhaps, as the cross may seem, especially as we live in a consumeristic and me-centered society, let's take it up. And so as we sing about the cross, may we respond in view of the cross this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.